Welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. Today I am joined by the Master Somatic Leadership Coach, Chris L. Johnson, and we're going to explore this idea of the leadership pause. Chris published a book with the same title last year, and so we're going to unpack some of the big ideas from that book, and we'll explore topics such as how can we lead clients into presence, how can we work with highly activated clients, the top energy leaks that people can have, and how we can activate change through resonance. As I mentioned, Chris is a master somatic coach. Over the past 25 years, she's delivered coaching and training to hundreds of clients in numerous organizations. She has a PhD in psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Chris is a master somatic coach certified by the Strozzi Institute and is a practicing Zen student. You can find out more about our offerings at Coaches Rising by heading to coachesrising.com and you can see the cool online trainings we've got going on there. So without further ado, here is the podcast with Chris Johnson. Chris, good to see you this morning. And uh, it's morning for you. It's afternoon for me. Just uh, how are you doing, first of all? I'm doing well. Uh, Up already and doing my morning sit with the community that I belong to and got dressed, got my coffee. I'm ready to go. It's a bright day. Uh, And uh, perhaps like you, I... I've been in the habit of choosing how I want to show up in the morning, right? Instead of letting the morning kind of get away. So I'm choosing today to uh, show up really purposefully and uh, with my whole heart. Got a, day, a full day ahead today. So purposeful and full hearted. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I think um, um, for me today, uh, the word delicious Ooh. is is really alive. So yeah, it's a word that I've been sat with for a few days and it's certainly here now. It's something I bring in and in a sense, like just inquire, how is deliciousness here right now? Yes. Beautiful <laughs> inquiry because it does tune me into it. Uh-huh. And so it's like a koan. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And just, I'm just curious, yeah. you know, you said you, you were with a community, sitting with a community. What what community is that? Do you mind me asking? No, no, it's um, the Institute for Zen Leadership. Uh, Ginny Whitelaw, you probably know of Ginny's name, and I'm part of that community. And then they have a physical dojo, Chosai Zen. It's uh, up in Madison, Wisconsin, so it's not too far from Chicago. But since the pandemic, they've been hosting uh, daily Zazen virtually. And so now there are people from all over the place, all over the country, the United States, but in Europe, in uh, South America. So it's really kind of interesting. So we get up and uh, sit for a half an hour, and then they have evening sitting as well. And then we meet with Jenny in between time, those of us are her students, and we practice our koan. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah, beautiful to sit together like that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk about your work today. You're a, you're a psychologist who works with, I think, trauma as well as being an executive coach and a mindfulness do I have that right? Mindfulness teacher? I'm not quite sure if I've got that right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and you've also brought out a book called The Leadership Pause, and wow. uh, it's a really interesting book. So I think I just want to explore with you today your work as a coach and a psychologist and how come you wrote this book, basically. So sure. maybe a good place to start is with this idea of a leadership pause because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a simple kind of notion in a sense, a leadership pause. But when I looked into your book, I was like, wow, there's a lot, a lot packed into this, mm-hmm. this idea. So maybe you could say what you mean by a leadership pause and why is that important and what what's kind of behind it? Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe in a sense, we might get to like your vision mm. of how leaders are being invited to grow in these times to respond. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. I think, um, So the leadership pause was, the idea was born a little over a decade ago when I was working with a business coach myself and um, talking to him in our small group setting about how I was viewing the need that leaders had that I was working with. And that included me too. And that included me on the Aikido mat in terms of that being a place of learning for me. And um, as we got to talking about it and he was 
you know, doing like good coaches do. He was teasing out questions, you know, and making nice inquiry. And we landed on like, oh, it's the leadership pause. Leaders really need to be able to pause. So it kind of came in a flash, like the title of the book, right? Um, But then in unpacking it, given my history and experience as a psychologist, but also as a mindfulness teacher, it's like I have valued the pause for a very long time, but I hadn't quite thought about it totally in the way that started to unfold in my conversation with the business coach at the time. And so I started exploring it. Like, so what if leaders actually paused like I think they should? And why don't they, by the way? And what's up with that? Like, we could all just pause and we don't. So what gets in the way? And then we started this, you know, one of those wandering conversations about the benefits of pausing. And there's little pauses in junior size, and then there's big sabbatical size pauses. And so what's in a pause? And really at the heart, a pause is a, an interruption of an automatic habit that we have where we're out of conscious awareness. And so to pause brings ourself really present to that moment. And today, Joel, I think you might agree that we need leaders who can do that so they can read the landscape and make good decisions. And we need more of it. So that's kind of in short how the book started. And then it took a while to get it going because I had to unpack it myself because if you're going to write a book, you have to actually live it, I think. So that was part of the challenge of writing. It's like, am I practicing the pause like I am espousing it be practiced for other leaders? Yeah, it certainly feels more relevant than ever, perhaps, uh-huh. you know, with the amount of stimuli, uh, the pace of life, uh, you know, smartphones and the, how they grab our attention. Yeah. That uh, You know, you said like interrupting a kind of habit or, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so it, feel, it does feel like that, that propensity to get locked into doing in a certain way mm-hmm. and how that can potentially diminish, you know, our skillful action and, Mm-hmm. Uh, perspective taking is just so so needed and so I'm just curious for you like do you, again that maybe that part of the question of like the vision of leadership that you feel is potential you know mm-hmm. once people start to pause you know both in terms of like on the micro level of like what happens in that moment when people pause mm-hmm. you know what what why do it what makes what does it make possible but also maybe it points towards like a, a kind of more general shift that we mm-hmm. can begin to make in our way of being if that opens yes. up something for you. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, well, so in a micro pause in the moment and in the book, I talk about catching yourself, being yourself, catching myself, being myself. We can get into that in a second, but with the pause, like just bringing ourselves fully present, I think the biggest thing is um, that we as a collective of humans need to do more of is actually feel ourselves. We get very disconnected from our sensing, feeling, sensing and emotional selves. And we put a lot of emphasis on our thinking selves, right? That's kind of the cultural biases to mental thought, et cetera. And we're going to try to figure stuff out and work our way through all the action steps and all of that. And it's not bad, but it's not complete if we're not tuned into, oh, this is the information I'm getting from my body that says, maybe I need to slow down. Or maybe the conversation that I'm in with somebody is starting to take a slight right turn, but I can feel it if I pay attention, if I pause in the conversational space. And we just ride over that stuff. We just go boom, right over it. So often in our need to get things done and to keep up and to not fall behind and that sort of thing, or at least that's what we think we should be doing often. So pausing interrupts all of that and brings us home, like Thich Nhat Hanh speaks to. And it's like, oh, what's here? What's my heart say? What's the body say? How's my connection with this person in front of me? what's the landscape that we're reading or need to read together. So that's in a micro and we don't do that all the time, but if we did it more, 
I suspect that our conversations would be different our present because our presence would be different with whomever we're speaking with. Um, and ultimately some different decisions might be made in terms of business and life. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it does feel like we are caught in perhaps a thin band slice of bandwidth of, of the range mm -hmm. of like experience we can access in a moment. And that mm -hmm. has particular consequences and, um, you know, it's funny because you bring that word presence in and it's almost to me has me think about and maybe the, you know, the connection between these two. But the there's there's this like move into our embodied life, which seems so important, you know, yeah. this feeling capacity, this contact with life. Yes. And uh, and at the same time, like a move into presence, you know, mm -hmm. which might point us towards some of the the domains that spiritual traditions have pointed us to you know something more more than what we consider ourselves to be general and in general and how like presence can actually mediate mm -hmm. our bodies as well you know can help regulate and um that's right uh kind of bring into a kind of coherence mm -hmm. our, our bodies as well that's true that's why i think feeling ourselves is so important so um the whole embodied body of work, somatics, is so key here to helping us tune into that and to be present with ourselves, with each other, with what's happening, so we can make the next best right choice, whatever that is. Um, and presence is our capacity to be together. Like, I can be concerned about me, but I can really attend to you, and then we can us with this space in between and what we're kind of creating or holding together. And that is where the juice is, I think. And that's where leaders have an opportunity if they're willing to tune into that, to, you know, tap levels of creativity and connection. You know, we need leaders in the future here who can address all these wicked problems because they're multiply complex. There's no one single right answer. Um, and so we have to be able to be present to how it shows up and unfolds and how we can work together. And if we're not, because I'm off in my head, because I got to meet my numbers or get to that next meeting, and I'm not really present with you, there's all kinds of open doors we miss for opportunities to connect and make a difference. I think. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. do, do you find that the leaders that you work with are you know, they resonate with this pause, this sense of a pause. And I'm just curious how you bring that in with them because, you know, you mentioned before, like, how, how come we don't do this? Yeah. You know, we know we kind of like when we do it, we feel like, oh, that this was just so needed, you know, yeah. uh, and yet we don't. And, you know, I know with my coaching clients, it's, you know, as, as with anyone, human beings, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. When you're in that doing mode, uh, there's a lot that you're feeling that pressure, perhaps, then pausing seems counterintuitive, it seems like. And, and I'm, so my question is, like, how do you, how do you, do you find leaders are opening more to this now, taking this kind of practice on? And if so, like, how do you bring them into it? Yeah. There's a couple ways, actually. So on the one hand, yes. People, uh, leaders are more interested in it, but in order to get there, you got to kind of start here. Like, oh, you're caught up with not being able to work with your calendar. You're always running out of time. You're not meeting your deadlines. You're complaining to me about this, or you're wondering about that guy you hired. That's the way in often to say, so what's happening right now oh, well, I'm really tense, Chris, or I have a little headache, or, you know, I really want to, I want to yell at somebody, which I hear these things, right? You probably do too. It's like, okay, just take it. Like, what if we just took a breath here and like worked with our uh, nervous system to kind of downregulate? And I don't usually use that word, but sometimes I do. And then, oh yeah, that feels better. Just a breath. Remember your grandma said to take a breath and she was right. So, okay, we'll do that. So now what if you had more of that? Well, there's a way to have it, and we could have it if we intentionally cultivated a pause. But I don't have time to do that, Chris. 
There's no way I don't have time in my busy day. Do you know how many people are on my calendar? That kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, probably as many as mine. So this is a human kind of struggle that we have. But do you want to be in reactivity or do you want to be conscious and aware? Do you want to be aware of what's going on? So you have greater choice because with awareness comes choice. So then they usually get a little interested. Maybe they have a story or an experience that's much more intense for them and they bring that to the table. So that's when I might introduce something like a pause and um, we, let's recalibrate our nervous system. If, I'm, if somebody comes right away to me and says, hey, I hear you work with leaders in dealing with their stress. What do you got for me? Let's talk tools, Chris. I could say, okay, we got a tool. Let's do this. You're going to think I'm nuts. You're going to tell me you don't have time. You're going to say, there's no way I need to stop that momentum if you're a hard driving entrepreneur. And I'll say, yeah, there's, there's a way. And what are the benefits? And then we talk about why would somebody pause anyway? You know, because the obstacles to pausing are that people are afraid that there's nothing there, that they'll stop their momentum, that somehow they'll be found lacking. You know, pause itself gets kind of a negative rap. And I've talked about that. It's like, yeah, so, but it doesn't cost much and it doesn't take a lot of time but it resets our whole biology if we are intentional about it. So it's a little dicey, but usually it's a conversation and then I'll do it with them. Like, let's do it together. We'll practice. Yeah. Yeah. Cause actually that was like something I wanted to ask you when you were talking there. Uh, it sounded like, yeah, you, you're saying now you practice it with them. And earlier you were saying they might come in and they, they're kind of maybe a bit stressed out. And, mm -hmm. and, and so in those moments, you know, and you said, oh, we can take a breath. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering like what kind of um, interventions or what would you do with someone, you know, mm -hmm. if they came in and they were kind of amped up or you could see that they were, you know, kind of spinning. Yeah. Um, what kind of, yeah. How would you, how would you be with someone help them? So I met a new uh, guy last week or so um, who's pretty amped up, but pretty buttoned up and a highly competent guy in his own right. C-suite. And um, at one point I said, how's your breathing? And he said, well, I'm getting caught right here. I said, well, I just noticed your face is a little flush. It's kind of a little red, more red than it was. It's like, oh yeah, I'm feeling the heat in a little bit. So making observation, observational comments, like I notice you're a little flush or your breath, see how is your breath, gets them tuned into the moment of their sensing selves. And then almost always people will say, not always, but almost always they'll say, oh yeah, that thing. And they've got some level of awareness. They do. Sometimes folks are like, I don't feel anything which is interesting and tells me a lot about where they are. Like I can see the flush or the uptick in their voice or the quickness and they aren't registering at all. That tells me something about their level of self-awareness and how I might move with them differently than this guy over here. Right. I might be a little bit more prescriptive here and a little bit like, Hey, let's explore this together here. So it really depends on who I'm working with. Um, these are the guys that often come in and say, I want the tools, you know, just give me the tool. And just for the people listening. So yeah, then if they're, if they're a bit earlier in their self-awareness, mm -hmm. they might want the tools. Yes. And that, that's where you would be more prescriptive. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It depends mm -hmm. on the person, of course, but that's, it. that's their expressed need. So it, can I meet it? I know I have a good tool. I know they'll give me a little pushback. I'll get a chance to work with them around it, but it'll be kind of fun, right? Over there. These folks are a little further along and they're slightly aware and maybe just aren't, aren't pausing long enough to like, oh, maybe if I shifted this and I could shift it in a moment or two, then a lot of things could open up. A lot of possibilities could open up. Mm. Does that help answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, cause I think it's interesting for people listening to, yeah, just to, to always hear from coaches about yeah, how do I invite people into this pause, you know? And so I'm hearing like one way is, is just through noticing through, 
through mm-hmm. reflecting back what I'm seeing in them. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's an art to that, you know, so that people mm-hmm. don't feel judged, but they're just, you know, they just hear you reflecting something back. And then, mm-hmm. so there's this process of them coming into their direct experience. I think that's something I'm hearing you say, like being in the moment is key yes. or is important. And then, um, like coming into their embodied experience in some way too, you know, mm-hmm. so they're beginning to, right. Yeah. And then yeah. through that, there's a, there's a pause beginning to take place or information mm-hmm. uh, might start to surface into their experience. Yes. You know, and then I have other people who come in and say, you know, I read something about pause. I saw something in Forbes and it said I should take a pause. And do you think I need a vacation? I'm like, I don't know. Do you need a vacation? Maybe you need a vacation. Talk to me about why you think you might need a vacation and why that article stood out to you so much, you know, and then we unpack that and then we get to it as like, I'm crazy busy or, or whatnot. So there's a lot of ways in and through and up the mountain, so to speak. Um, But direct experience and, Allowing oneself to feel is really, really key, I think, to the, the shift that leaders are able to make. Yeah. So, there, yeah, there is a gentleman that I um, actually write about in the book. He was one of these guys that he, he's like, Chris, I'm one of those ready, fire, aim guys. And I'm just out the gate before I have a chance to think. I'm like, how's that working for you, Mark? And he's like, well, you know, I get a lot done. I'm like, is it the right stuff? And he's like, well, not always. So, so then we back that up. And by the end of our coaching relationship, he had said, you know, the biggest thing was really learning to pause and that I didn't have to jump so quickly because there's a way that the, our Western culture really promotes and supports and reinforces this sort of jump, you have to be reactive to get ahead. And he had bought into that. You know, his mantra was, if I work harder and stay longer than anybody, I'll be successful. I'm like, yeah, but you won't have a life. You'll get a lot done, but, you know, yeah. So he learned how to take on the pause and that it didn't have to be long, but it long enough, long enough. And it's interesting there because I'm hearing there's a kind of reframe perhaps mm-hmm. needed that actually this kind of um, work might put someone in to direct relationship with their, the beliefs they have about who they are, what it is to be successful in the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that, that will surface in some way and you, you'd have to relate to that maybe to shift your mindset or your beliefs around who you are in your daily working life or something. Yes. Yes. I mean, to pause really when we're in more in the moment, we get, we come face to face with the moment, but like how we're showing up in it and what is our identity in it. Um, And for many of, I mean, identity, looking at our identity and how they shift is a, uh, it's a constant shift. We tend not to think about it that way. I'm a psychologist. I'm a meditation teacher. I'm a coach. We get very attached to all of those labels and kind of rightly so, but can we expand them or let them go or allow them to grow into something else? That can be a little scary, especially if I have quarterly earnings or I have some big commitments that need to happen in what I'm up to. So yeah, identity is key. I like your way of talking that it's the reframe because it really is. It's a different way of holding what we're up to. And I think that's part of our job as coaches. Certainly it was my training as a psychologist, but as a coach, like how do we frame this? Is there an alternative way that someone can see what they're up to? And is it, does it help? How can it help? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It just reminds me of like, I was having a conversation with my partner in mm-hmm. Coaches Rising earlier and we got, we got, um, we started to get hooked into a bit of a, you know, a con- it wasn't a conflict, but tension started to build in our conversation. Mm-hmm. So we actually just paused, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that was incredibly important for us to be able to actually begin to see, yeah, A, how we were mm-hmm. in an embodied sense getting hooked into something. Yeah. But then 
and then but then b actually see what are the frames we're holding in this moment and that they're they're opening something up but closing something down and and yeah. and so yeah and it kind of makes me think about you know you're i know you're a zen practitioner and uh maybe this is kind of taking us off in a tangent but it's just coming up it's like there's there's an incredible practice practicality to this but mm-hmm. there's also you know there's also this side of um you know the kind of constructed nature of things of how we reify in our experience you know like you said we habituate and we reify around certain roles and activities which then you know lock us into a particular way of seeing um, but there's actually a way we can kind of reverse that, deconstruct that process to an extent where we, through awareness and presence in the moment, uh, kind of come back into something more open and more fluid and expansive within which we can then, you know, uh, I think we claim more of a kind of potential in that moment and mm-hmm. we can then maybe move in a different direction, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm getting the image. There's a Zen, uh, mm, Tony Parker is a Zen teacher. And I remember reading one of her pieces and she talks about the flow like down a river and that as our consciousness, as we keep going, you know, we can get caught over here in the eddy and just like spin and spin and spin and we get caught or hooked. And then something opens up and then we rejoin the larger stream. I think about that with what you just said, that if you can be, if we can be intentional in the pause and like what needs to open here or what could open here. um, And can we give ourselves a permission like you and your partner did to like declare a pause for a little bit, then we can join something that's much more expansive and moving versus getting all twisted and stuck. Cause we do that, right. We're humans get stuck and stuff. So, um, how did that work out for you and your partner? Oh yeah, totally. It it just um, we freed up from being like locked in to yeah. a conf- You know, you know, it didn't. It wasn't really a conflict, but it, it was heading in that direction. You know, when things get more polarized and yeah, you know, right and wrong starts to become the thing. Uh-huh. Uh, it just cut that off basically. It was like we just were like, oh yeah, um, hey, interesting. That was showing up and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we don't need to do that, you know. And actually, uh, we're we're holding different perspectives here, which are important. But uh, we actually feel quite aligned as well. We feel more aligned around stuff. And so there was just um, the 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 trigger or the identification mm-hmm. with a with a fixed viewpoint just yeah disappeared disappeared. You know, yeah. you're making me think about something, um, and I write about this too. And this is a good example. I think that triggers, no, so remember like psychologists, lots of trauma work, lots of people get triggered with stress and, and uh, especially over ugly traumatic stuff. So there's that. Most of us, when we use the word triggered, we don't necessarily talk, we aren't necessarily referencing that really difficult stuff. We're talking more about, you know, that guy made, he had an attitude when he talked to me or, you know, or there's this tension and I'm a little triggered. Um, I think the triggers are the way in most of us are like, I shouldn't talk to that guy that way, or I don't want to talk to him, or I don't want him to come with me. But I think triggers, when we get activated, there's a lot of juice there. And if we can be with that, then like you just said, lots of things opened up, but you got to be able to hang there, pause there long enough to feel it. And like, let it work you kind of like a good tiramisu, I like to say, you know, you just put all that in and you let it kind of soak and, oh yeah. And then there's something yummy, delicious, like you were saying earlier, right? Um, What do you think about triggers? Because that's how I view them. And I kind of like to go for them um, when I'm working with folks. Yeah. Well, I, um, I'm actually, yeah, I I, want to answer that, but I'm actually curious to ask you, I will do in a moment. What, what, what has helped you, like what has helped you to take that kind of orientation? Uh, Are there any like practices or anything like that that, you know, Mm. is it just being, oh, 
it's more in my general development that I, mm-hmm. you know, became just interested in orienting to them more. Is there anything that supported you in that practice? That's a good question. Um, let me sit with that just a second here. You know, Howard Thurman is the guy who talks about, you know, don't ask what the world needs. Don't ask what you need, but ask what the world needs. And um, from my work with folks around in the traumatic space, when people have come in and talked about they're triggered for something that they had experienced, it was usually because they were frightened or overreactive or overwhelmed, and they were thrown back to a place they didn't want to be generally speaking. And those moments of vulnerability, we tend to shy away from. They can devolve into things like shame and, and all sorts of stuff. But shame itself is very much about being human. We need a healthy dose of shame, not, not over much. But those triggers were always a way for folks to speak a little bit more about what was important to them and the aliveness that they were fussing to grapple with because it was painful. If we take that into the domain of non-trauma, but like there's a background of trauma that we live with, then triggers are really, every time I've ever asked anybody or said, hey, I noticed you're clutching at your throat or your flush. Um, Oh yeah, this thing came up and it reminded me of X and I'm feeling like this there's always a way in to ultimately what they care about and what their concerns are. And that's really where we want to go. So I think my training as a psychologist with trauma had something to do with the orientation. Um, And then it's just working with people. And then you probably know, I think we talked about it before, but Richard Strozzi and some other amazing teachers like Ginny Whitelaw, like Wendy Palmer practices that are, that came from Aikido. Um, and I too practice that like turning and facing into the thing that is hard almost always produces a really juicy, delicious outcome. It may not be feel pretty right away, but training our bodies, how to do that allows us a lot more range of experience than if we're tight and constricted. So I don't know if I'm making sense here or. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's such a, a key point, you know, in this whole conversation, really. It's like, yeah, um, because we can become triggered. Our attention can get caught up in these mm-hmm. triggers. And uh, often that we've, you know, ca- carried with us from when we were young. Right. And then, you know, that captures our attention. It, it channels our energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, f- shapes what we see and who we are in those moments. And yeah, yeah. and we're, you know, that's going on amongst billions of people and to varying degrees. So all day I long. Think yeah, exactly. <laughs> all day <And> long. <laughs> so for me, um, I think it's of, of key importance. And I, it comes back to our conversation, I think, about this, this idea of a pause, you know, that mm-hmm. Um, if we, you know, even if we say like our habituation, you know, um, maybe that's not really a trigger. Maybe that's our adaptive, you know, the way we've adapted to be in life. And there's an intelligence in that. There's an intelligence in our triggers that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we didn't adapt and habituate, we'd always be learning everything new all the time and it'd be overwhelming. But, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's something about this pause that you you talk about, which I think that that's the thing that allows us to begin to uh, to actually be with our experience in a different way, where we're not we're not rejecting it either. We're not identified with it. We're not right. rejecting it, but we can meet it with a mm-hmm. certain kind of presence that uh, a I think can allow for integration to take place. So. Mm-hmm. You know, we can be with a trigger in a in a compassionate way, and uh, that's what that trigger might need in that moment. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and then it can really begin to calm down and relax. Yeah, and and just I think freeing ourselves from habituation as needed. You know, um, so that so that we kind of land in more creativity and possibility. So, 
Yeah. So really what I hear you saying and what I am intending to say, I think we're on the same page here is that we can learn to relate to the triggers in a different way. We may still have them. In fact, we almost assuredly will. Um, but as we learn to relate to them differently, like it doesn't mean, oh, stop, or I need to numb out, or I'm going to be caught up. It means that I have more choice now that I can see it. So I'll give just a really quick example. When I was growing up, there was a lot of conflict and fighting in my house. And so I am very sensitive to really loud, loud conversations that are often very energized and could be yelling and screaming. You can hear me do that. When I hear that, or like when my husband raises his voice, which he swears he never does, but he, my system registers it as him raising his voice. And he could say all day long, I'm not raising my voice, but there's a certain tone. And when that happens, I get activated and triggered. So I know enough now it's like, okay, hold on, take a breath, recenter myself, turn and ask him what he means or say something differently. I don't have to be at the mercy of, oh my gosh, what it means is of course you're yelling. Of course, somebody's in trouble. Of course, I need to shut down, which is what I did as a kid, right? All that stuff was automatic and out of my awareness until I worked on it over the years. And that's available for everybody. So this relationship in my house doesn't have to be the same as it was when I grew up because I have more choices now. And that's true for all of us. So it's kind of like, well, then you can get really curious about like, well, what are my darn triggers and how can I embrace them? with a pause and get really curious about how they're showing up, up and impacting my work, my life, my relationships with people that I care about. Mm. So, so triggers yeah. are pretty juicy. Yeah. 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 So I'm hearing with your clients, you actually, yeah, you, you, one area you might go is, you know, around a certain topic where are you getting triggered and mm -hmm. uh, why don't, how, how would you work with that with a client? Would you get them to kind of talk about that trigger and then um, maybe even start to explore with them, well, what's here for you now as we start to talk about that trigger? Or what was there for you then in your embodied experience? What's here now? Would you, would yeah. you go that kind of place? Yeah. I would go that kind of place for sure and have for with lots of clients. It really depends on somebody's readiness to go there. Um, yeah. So if they're not ready to go there and you can tell because they're not registering something, or they think you're crazy when you ask the question, um, then it's like, okay, we back, take a couple of steps back and keep holding the space to explore it, trying to stay in the here and now. And then questions like, does that remind you of something prior? Have you experienced this before? How was that for you? Kind of the typical lines of inquiry that might help somebody start to connect their own dots and like, oh yeah, now it makes sense. This is where I get hung up. I don't have to do that anymore. So mm. it really depends on readiness and where somebody's at in the journey, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, this brings me to a question I wanted to ask you about because you write about energy in your book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, I'd love to ask you, you know, kind of what you think about energy and its, you know, and its relationship to the pause. But maybe there's a something here about, yeah, as, as we start to recognize our triggers, to be with them in a certain way, to, to meet, you know, what we've not been feeling, maybe that can begin to, to release more energy for us, you know, energy that was kind of used in maintaining a certain defense or mm -hmm. uh, resistance to a trigger. But yeah, I'm wondering in general, you know, how, how do you kind of, yeah, why energy is important to you really as a topic? Yeah, you know, early in my career, I was invited to teach a stress management class at a big bank in downtown Chicago. And at that time, it was all about kind of the cognitive approach to like, let's, what are your stressors and what causes this and where do you want to go? Very linear kind of approach. And I bought into it. I was all about like, let's get a handle, let's manage our stress. Until I uh, happened upon John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living, which is kind of his tome about uh, relating to the stresses of life differently. It's not about managing them. It's about being with them. And um, 
I had a lot of stress then and I was trying to manage it and did so quite poorly at the time and had this bad case of contact dermatitis that I was sure was not stress related, um, et cetera, until it was like, oh my gosh, the it's so stress related. It was one of those gobsmacked kind of things uh, where I couldn't believe that I couldn't see what was probably obvious to everybody else in terms of overstressed, et cetera. Stress is just a different way of talking about how we're working with our energy. So we all have life energy. There's universal energy. There's the energy in our bodies. And we know enough today, like it matters if you get enough sleep. It matters if you're eating healthy foods and not just junk foods, because all of that works to create an energetic balance, if you will. When we have bad stuff happen or trauma happen, as biological organisms, we contract. If we hold those contractions for long periods of time, unbeknownst to us, we have less, there's literally less access to the energy in the body. You know, neurofascial release is a, a thing now because we hold so much in our tissue and the energy gets kind of jammed up there. It's kind of cement-like. So for anybody who's had rough shoulders or bad hips or knees that are creaky, there's ways that energy can get stuck, literally, physically. So, you know, along with stress, people often say, I'm so tired, I'm zapped, I don't have any energy. You know, can you help me get more energy? Those are very common complaints that people have. So yeah, we can do that and we need to free it up. And you don't do it in one fell swoop, but tuning in visa the be the pause can help us notice like, wow, I'm really more tired than I thought. I think I need a nap or, you know, maybe I'm more tired. Maybe I need some water. I haven't had enough to drink today. I haven't had enough water to hydrate. So energy is so important because it's ongoing and active all the time and can be really high or really low. Dan Siegel talks about the window of tolerance. Like what's the optimal level of arousal for any of us, that's all about energy. We want optimal levels of arousal to be able to function well and have a great life and play with the kids and make the business decisions. So energy is really, really key. And it's something we have a lot more influence on than we tend to think. We tend to think like work takes a lot out of me. It's because I give a lot to work or my kids demand a lot. They do, they're kids, they need a lot. So being able to notice where one's energy is, what it's drained by, what are some of the common energy leaks that happen for people. We notice those things when we stop to pause about it. So I also talk a lot with people about, well, where is your energy leaking? So much like I might ask somebody like, what are your triggers that get you out of the moment and you're off somewhere? I might say, where are you kind of leaking energy? Um, the work of Tony Schwartz at the Energy Project is a great example. He talks a lot with people about energy and how to just work with that. And um, so that's, and I'll do that with people. Where are you leaking energy? There's a few main areas that are key to that. Um, and we can talk about that if that's useful, but yeah. all of it can be like brought home with a pause, right? Um, so the top energy leaks that I end up talking about are, Overcommitment, that's a big one. You know, people don't say no. And so they're overcommitted to too many projects. Uh, their calendar's brimming. I tend to fall in this category as a default. So I'm like, especially aware of that. Um, I'm nodding too. I'm like, oh. you're, I saw the head shake. <laughs> it's easy to do, right? Um, and it goes back to identity. Like, if I get all this stuff done and I'm successful, people will know I'm successful versus do I need to get all this stuff done? And what does it really matter? And what's the difference I'm trying to make or you're trying to make, right? So kind of reversing those questions. Um, another one is other people's expectations, um, it, which goes to the identity. Like, what do I think other people think are their expectations for me? We so easily get caught up in that. And that's very much about status or it can be versus what is the difference I want to make? Um, so those are the two biggies, I think, for me. And then there's uh, expectations of oneself. That's a close third about um, energy leaks. Am I over expecting too much or not enough? 
So where is the energy get? Where's the energy with those things? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And, you know, it points to uh, the inner work we can do as coaches and, uh, you know, I, this this oh, thing about yeah. being overcommitted and, you know, the identities we've formed around um, who I am and what is it to be successful is such a rich conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, for me personally, that that I've been kind of tuning into that on a kind of on almost like level of like fundamental satisfaction, you know, okay. so so I'm like. Like, what's the kind of like resonance tone I want to kind of want to feel in the day or like end the day with? And not not that I want to set like a monotone or something, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's like I remember someone saying to me once, like, um, that it's like a pizza eating contest where the first prize is is pizza, you know. (laughs) So it, it can be a bit like if you're doing cool things, you know, like am I, uh-huh. like are there so many exciting opportunities out there? But at yeah. some point you just get you're like, oh, like at one point I was coaching so much that I was like, yeah. And then my prize is I go into another coaching session, you know, and, it, and then okay. it, it becomes it that you get diminishing returns on the level of satisfaction. And yeah. so for me to to like inquire into, oh, yeah, what what am I privileging in my experience? That's a great way uh, you know, to put it. and mm-hmm. oh, I'm privileging here a kind of like imposed mental idea. Well, although it's embodied, actually, I've got to say it's deeply <laughs> embodied around what it means to be a good worker, a mm-hmm. good, successful person working five days a week, nine to five. I've imbibed all of that. And so then to kind of think on this level of like, well, and this is where I think your idea of a pause is so brilliant, because that's what allowed me to tune into it. Uh, and check basically and go like okay like there's this kind of feeling of innate well-being that actually like is fundamental to my life you know if I've got if that's not there not that I don't I never expect bad things to happen but if that's not there uh, and I'm just stamping all over it by being overcommitted, then what's the point because I'm doing that stuff in a sense to get that feeling of well-being so that's right being able to pause allowed me to kind of tune in uh, wow. to that frequency of well-being. And then and then from there, I was like, okay, I've got to get outside more. What are these fundamental activities that, that okay, being outside and under the blue sky around the trees, uh-huh. you know, being, and, and so suddenly I started to create more pauses in my daily life in a sense. I didn't think of it as a pause. It's like, uh-huh. no, I've got to, I want to walk more, you know, yeah. I, lo- I just, feel good when I walk. So uh-huh. it's those kinds of decisions for me that started to emerge out of this kind mm-hmm. of exploration. So Joel, when you said, you know, it came out of a pause, was that a, a, a momentary pause? Was that an extended pause in like a meditation practice? So it happened a little bit over time. Can you speak to that? Cause that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. It's 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 actually taps into what you said earlier about following a trigger or following the pain mm-hmm. in that, you know, there was just this background dissatisfaction, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it was just there. And it was like, um, you know, I could kind of get through the day by ignoring it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, at some point I was like, OK, well, that's there. You know, let's not ignore that. Mm-hmm. And so then it was about, well, just allowing that in, feeling that dissatisfaction, not trying to change it. But from yeah. that, um, you know, what emerged was like, oh, yeah, um, uh, it, I'm dissatisfied because I'm ignoring something else. Something yeah. else is wanting to come in. There's a kind of intelligence and I'm not allowing it because actually inside of this sense of dissatisfaction, there are all these like beliefs and there's a shaping and embodied shape to it, you know, around like, Oh, you know, got to say yes to that. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Like always doing stuff, you know, like needing to be productive. Yes. So, so those kind of beliefs and the shape of that started to come into more conscious awareness through that Mm -hmm. pause. And then, and then of course, also then from that, there was like, oh yeah. And there's this fundamental well-being that comes in a bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm wanting. That's almost yeah. like the guiding teacher that's yeah. kind of speaking to me, whispering. Yeah. Uh, and now, now is not, not a whisper. It's more of a felt resonance that, yeah. Uh, yeah, perhaps even I might say more now, I recognize when it's not here. 
you know, mm-hmm. as a part. So it's like it flips, it inverts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a fabulous way of describing it. So a trigger came knocking on your door, this felt dissatisfaction, and you could ignore it only so long. And then you decided, Chris's words, I'm going to turn and face that guy because, gosh, it doesn't go away. I might as well listen. And it took you on a bit of a journey and exploration about what was really what you're longing for, what you really wanted more of. So you could actually explore it a little bit and then you could make the changes like, oh, what if I need to, I really want more outdoor time under the blue sky. And you could actually choose that. And now it's ultimately flipped. That's exactly what I mean, talking about letting a trigger come, but turning and facing it and not just batting it away, which is what we do because this identity that we live in or multiple identities that we live in kind of have a grip uh, on us. And it's good. It's useful. We need to have some identity formation, but then it comes a point of like, oh, is it working anymore? And maybe it's not. So good on you that you followed that. And, uh, and you know what you're doing. I love what you said about nature because, you know, Jenny Whitelaw also talks a lot about resonance. She has a book called Resonate. That's a fabulous book. And would say that the only changes that we make, the really effective ones are made through resonance. And one of the biggest resonators in the world is being out in nature. We can kind of get back in the natural rhythms of who we are as animals. We're humans, but we're animals, right? And to feel that. So that's another thing that I might get, and I do get prescriptive about sometimes. I might've said, Joel, you need to go take a walk. Like just what, do you, what would happen if you took a walk? Could you imagine what would happen if you took a walk, right? If I, if you and I were coaching and you might've said, no, no, I got too much to do. And I might've said, well, just do it anyway. Just like experiment with what would a five minute walk in the middle of your day look and feel like, and what could it open for you? So I might get a little more prescriptive if you had shared something about, I want more nature, right? Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, um, I want to ask you about your book again in a moment, but the, the final thing that, um, I noticed mm. about that practice and that I wonder about this leadership pause is that it actually took me into, it was quite a profound mm. journey into my true nature to use that fra- phrase, you know, uh-huh. uh, actually, who am I, mm-hmm. you know, on a fundamental level? So that's where it took me. It was like, okay, there's a, you know, there's this Joel thing and um, uh, some, uh, and, and there's a, there's some um, beliefs and ways of being that I've inherited from um, my upbringing and they were useful. They allowed me to adapt and remain connected and, you know, in some way brought a sense of power, but they no longer serve me. And, and um, then there was this sense of like, being outside, uh, feeling this frequency of innate well-being actually took me into states of presence, you know, where it was like, yeah, there was a kind of union with experience, mm-hmm. quite profound. And I think in a sense, it's like there's there's an intelligence to our experience like that, you know, we're being caught back perhaps in a myriad of different ways. And maybe even the expression of a leadership pause is part of that call back to our true nature. You know, I don't want to get too maybe philosophical and esoteric mm-hmm. about it, but mm-hmm. I do kind of feel that there's, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's something that potent inside of an idea like that. I wouldn't disagree. And I own I, I really wouldn't. I think there is something to be said about it. Um, it strikes me that one of the things I also write about is the core presence and that's really the essence of who you are or I am. And it's all part of the bigger interconnection of energy and who we are together. Um, so one of the phrases I'll say to people often is as they're going down this path, and I have to remind myself, of course, just saying, so it's, it's true, uh, full disclosure here, is got to remember who you are. Remember who you are, Joel. So who you are isn't that identity that was shaped or who you are, Chris, isn't that identity. Those are parts of what shaped us, but they're not the essence, the core of who we really are. So this call back to what is that 
and how, and can we know it? Um, that's another fundamental question. Can we know it or do we just kind of smell it and move in the right direction, you know, um, along the path? I don't know the answers to that. I'm not a philosopher, but it does beg those questions. And I love that you're asking them. And I think those are the questions leaders need to be able to, to ask themselves more frequently. Let me ask you a question on that path as you pursued that and got out in nature more, what's the feeling state, the emotion that it generated in you? Yeah, it was, it was variations of, of joy, like this kind of sense of unconditional well-being, mm-hmm. um, like del- a, a gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, there's a kind of like exuberance, mm. you know, those those kind of shades of those mm-hmm. kinds of experience, like um, an innate kind of sense of satisfaction or contentment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and yeah. is that very different from your day-to-day and getting caught up in the tensions with a partner or doing the business and being productive? Yeah. Yeah, it, it exactly. I mean, in a, in a way, like I've been thinking about ontological design recently, and you know, it's like I felt like I was getting designed by my like um, unquestioned uh, beliefs around what a working day was, and getting through my to do list, you know. Uh-huh. And so it just it, and I thought that if I try and be more effective and do more, uh, then I'll get to that place where I want to get to, you know, where I feel satisfied. And it was just like, uh, you know, you're never going to, you know, you know, it doesn't lead to that place. So, mm-hmm. um, so I can't remember your question now, but um, yeah. Uh, and, and so I was just playing around with basically like what kinds of experiences are conducive, are different mm-hmm. that, will, yeah. that will tune me into to what's kind of calling me. And, and, you know, it was incredibly practical too. Like uh, it left me feeling, it just made me a nicer person and, <laughs> Uh, I felt more creative, uh, for uh-huh. more inspired. Uh, uh-huh. So it, it, it impacted how I was with people and the kinds of ideas I had to. Sure. So would you say that it atta- you were you tapped into a different kind of energy? Yeah. Then? Yeah, and that's what like that whole core presence tapping a different kind of energy. I suspect that it's not just my idea. I think there. Lots of folks who would say leaders of the future have to be able to be more adaptable and agile because the world is just changing too fast. It's too complex. There are too many parts that are moving. And how does one do that? The old way is like we have an identity and we do the nine to five and we work really hard. The new way of becoming or being, I think, is requiring something different of us. And you just gave us a great example about how to tap that, right? It's like, follow that thread. And then where does it go? And can it, will it tap into a different kind of energy that now you can think about situations differently, that whole ontological piece, like how do we want to be in? What are the conditions that would create what we're hoping for? And leaders, we need different kinds of leaders. We need the capacity to do that. So the pause is just the starting point. There's a lot of stuff to unpack, but I think it opens up a pathway that most of us didn't think possible because it seemed too simple, right? It's just a pause. It's just yeah. too simple. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's why I like what you're pointing to in your book and in our conversation today that, you know, I could have done that walk, but just been thinking a lot and ruminating and, you know, that would have been a different experience, but no, there were, you know, I was kind of tuning into my felt experience, mm-hmm. my energy, my state. So, and that's what actually kind of uh, created an exponential amplified effect with the practice rather than, yeah, you just go walking around and you're just thinking and worrying about stuff, you know? So Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a great example. I'm so glad you shared that because that's perfect. You're a exemplar of what I'm talking about. And sure. I wonder, you know, as we move towards the end of our time today, if there's anything else you want to bring in that we haven't mentioned around your work or your book that you feel, you know, it's just a, you know, an important idea or. Yeah, maybe a couple things uh, just on the point of pause. I talk about different kinds of pauses. So the momentary pause, kind of a, a planned, regular pause that you might have. 
maybe weekly or monthly um, longer pauses. We might talk about in my sabbaticals. I had a gal ask me before the book was completed. She's like, what do you do with them? You know, you get thrown into a, a pause uh, and you didn't, didn't ask for it. Um, like the pandemic was a giant, let's get thrown into a pause. Um, and my response, I hadn't thought about the question that way until she asked it, frankly, but people who are incarcerated in pandemics, in uh, situations where they can't move out of it, there's an enforced pause or somebody's ill and I'm taking care of a family member uh, and I want to do that, but I want to do this too. So how do we navigate that? Um, seems to be that there's something in the pause that's about accepting the reality of what's right here in front of us and not how we thought it should be. So there's that element of acceptance of reality here. Um, and that we could talk a lot about that, but that acceptance notion is key. We don't have to like what we see or observe or even feel, but it can inform us just like those triggers. And then I guess that would go to the bigger question about deliberate practice. I do talk about you know, perspective in the book and being on purpose. I have a chapter about that, which is really about cultivating a sense of what we're drawn to what we're meant to do on the planet, but the good feeling that goes with it, because when there's that, it's much more energizing and I'm much more willing to engage in the, the deliberate practices that create the scaffold for this well-being and choices I might make as a leader. So deliberate practice is pretty key and there's tons written about that, but it is so important uh, to engage deliberately in what we're up to. Not everything, but the things that are really, really important to us, we probably can't do deliberate practice on the whole 100% of our lives all the time, although some would debate that. Um, but really, if something's very important, like getting up and sitting with a sitting practice, that's been like, I've been wanting to do that. I have had a regular practice, but now they're doing it really early. And yes, I want to do it. No, I don't. And then it's like, well, think about it. You could sleep or you could get up and do the practice. And if you sleep, you'll get good sleep but you won't be moving toward the inner work that you want to, Chris, be cultivating to be the best self so you can support all the people you want to support. So something to be said for deliberate practice in the pause. You know, I think these Zen guys, they're, they're like, they, <laughs> they, uh, they, they came around in a time when they, 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 there wasn't the scientific research around circadian rhythms, you know? So all those people who, you know, I like, I seem to have a rhythm where I go to bed around midnight, wake up around quarter to eight, you know, which like, you know, in the American, I don't know, I think in America, that's like frowned upon, you know, like quarter to eight, you know, what? but I'm like, those Zen guys, they didn't, you know, they, they like start meditating at four in the morning and stuff, uh -huh. or uh -huh. like, you know, there yeah. should be a, there should be a sect of Zen Buddhism where they start <laughs> meditating at like nine o'clock. You know? <laughs> so, it's like, so everyone can go yeah so was, yeah. yeah and i i just um on that note i, I, was, mm -hmm. I think you know stacy haynes or you know of her she, mm -hmm. we were in a session with her last night and she talked about i think i'm going to try and remember it right but i'll mm -hmm. on the, the the subject of deliberate practice mm -hmm. uh that it, i think it's like 300 repetitions mm -hmm. and then it starts to move into muscle memory That's and right. then uh, I don't know if it was it 3000 in order for it to become embodied or something like that. So yeah. anyway, you know, it was a few thousand therefore. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. If you don't, it has to be something you care about and it has right. to be done on that level of uh, felt experience, you know, of, mm -hmm. of energy. Yeah. Uh, and then you will go far with it. But if, if not, then, because I think a lot of people start trying to practice something half-heartedly mm -hmm. uh, and drop it quickly and, yeah, mm -hmm. it takes commitment. So, well, and we'd be better off not to do that, which is why, um, like, uh, New Year's resolutions don't work. It's like, you know, a couple of weeks into January, by February, people are like tossing those because they either were important, but they didn't uh, approach it consistently because it's so new and they didn't give themselves the permission to not do it perfectly. So, hell, if I'm not going to do it perfectly, I might as well not do it at all. And so then we toss stuff. So, 
you know, 300 reps, it's in our awareness, 3000, it's now embodied. And then 10,000, of course, is the magic number toward mastery. And I'm not so sure about all that research, but we know that the masters really are dedicated to their particular practice of choice. Yo-Yo Ma, you know, people who are amazing at what they do, but that could be all of us. And in fact, I think it should be all of us. Like, how do we, how do we take on what we need to, to become our best selves and tap into that core presence? So I know we're about time, but all of those things are really important. So. Yeah. That feels to me like a great place to close our conversation and to just say thanks, Chris, uh, for being here today. I really enjoyed our conversation and, uh, you know, let's, um, I want to make sure people know about your work, you know, the book, the leadership pause that's, I think came out, uh, later last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. where can we find that? And you're just about your work in general. Yeah. Yeah, So probably, uh, the leadership pause came out in July of 2022 Mm -hmm. and, um, you can find it on Amazon, uh, the leadership pause, uh, sharpen your attention, deepen your presence and navigate the future. And you could find me at q4-consulting.com. I live in Chicago. Be happy to hear from any of you all. And uh, I'm really delighted for the conversation today. So thank you so much, Joel. It's been a pleasure. And hopefully we'll maybe do it again or have another place we can have a joint conversation. Yeah. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time.